0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. 2 Timothy, the very end of it, chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. And this is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Greet Prisca and Aquila. In the household of Onicephorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulius greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Be, be seated. We are now at the uh, final words of the apostle Paul to Timothy. But not just the final words to Timothy, these are the final words of the apostle Paul. This is the last thing uh, written that we have. He his two letters from Timothy have been primarily concerned about or primarily concerned to encourage Timothy to gird up his loins for the work of the ministry, particularly the setting up of churches uh, with elders, the, um, the order of the church in general. That's been Paul's, uh, Paul's reason for writing these letters to Timothy. The order of the church. And Paul's directives to Timothy include much encouragement to stand firm when false teachers come into the church and are trying to move away and corrupt the scriptures and corrupt teaching. He started his first letter to Timothy with this affectionate greeting. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandments of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy has faithfully followed uh, the apostles' lead. As we looked at a few weeks ago, Now the apostle uh, awaits execution. But he urges Timothy, right, to, to come to him, to make every effort to come to him soon. He desires to see Timothy, to encourage Timothy, to be encouraged by him once before he is executed and enters into the presence of his father clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He wants... To see his son in the faith. And so here now at the end of the second letter. The Apostle Paul very very simply sends his greetings to those who have worked with him in the ministry. Right? He, and, and this is Paul's typical method. He does this in many of his letters. He sends greetings to those he worked with in the ministry. Remember Timothy is working in the church in the city of Ephesus. Right? And and Prisca, or Priscilla, as she's named elsewhere, and Aquila are still there too. They're still in Ephesus, um, near to Timothy. You'll remember that Prisca and Aquila are mentioned elsewhere in Paul's letters, also in the book of of Acts, at the end of 1 Corinthians. The apostle sends along their greetings to the Corinthians Corinthians church, and... um, it says this, Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord um, and the church that is in their house. Right? So Prisca and Aquila have a church in their house. They're known to the Corinthians, and the Corinthian church receives their greetings through the Apostle Paul. In Acts, we read this account of this husband and wife. We read in Acts 18, After these things he left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontius having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working for by trade. They were tent makers. So Paul doesn't just have the gospel in common with Priscilla and Aquila. They also have the same vocation. They they they're tent makers. So. Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla when they're kicked out of Rome by Claudius. The Jews were kicked out of Rome, and they had to flee. And then we read this a little later in chapter 18. We find out that Priscilla and Aquila ended up in Ephesus. 18, 18, it says, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow, They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a little longer or a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again, if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. So they went with Paul. Paul leaves them in Ephesus, and then uh, Paul goes on from there. What did Priscilla and Aquila do in Ephesus? Things like this, again in Acts chapter 18. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the to him, the way of God more accurately. I find that passage interesting because it says he's mighty in the Scriptures, he's eloquent, he's out there teaching, they're happy to have him teaching in the synagogue, but all he knows about is the baptism of John. Right? The baptism for repentance. But even that was enough for him to be teaching and to be doing ministry. But Priscilla and Aquila had the boldness then to take him aside, an eloquent man. It's often intimidating to deal with eloquent men, isn't it? Right, But they, Priscilla and Aquila, tent makers, right? simple tent makers, but believers in the Lord. Take him aside and explain to him together the way of God more accurately. They minister to him. They tell him, you know, a few other things that maybe you want to know about concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they made this Apollos um, more knowledgeable by their ministry. At the end of Romans, Paul writes this informative greeting to Aquila and Priscilla and Prisca. He says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. There's that mention again of the church that's in their house. But the mention of the fact that they risk their necks which is a, a, a great turn of phrase, right? Risk their necks to save the Apostle Paul's life. Paul owes much to Prisca and Aquila. Um, we don't know what he did. We don't what they did. We don't know how they rescued the Apostle Paul. We just know that they did. They risked their lives. They risked their own lives to minister to him. And they also had a church in their house. So without a doubt, Aquila and Pris, Prisca were the type of Christians who were useful to the Apostle Paul and useful to the church, right? They had they used the knowledge they had gained to bless others, to correct others, even, even to the point of risking their own necks, as Paul put it. Do you think of your own knowledge? Do you think of the knowledge that God has given to you as a responsibility? Right? Prisca and Aquila knew it was their responsibility because of the knowledge God had given them to minister to Apollos, no matter how eloquent he was, right? They went to him and said, no, God has given us knowledge and we will teach you. And they used that. Has God blessed you with knowledge? Has God blessed you with gifts? Has God blessed you with with authority? Well, use it. Use it as a responsibility. They even risked their lives, their own necks, and so they, they served a servant of the Lord. They served a servant of the Lord and they um, used, used their gifts. Um, they also had a church in their home, which likely would not have been an uncommon, uncommon thing, occurrence in uh, that time, churches and homes in the early days of the ministry of the apostles. Um, where else would they meet? They wouldn't meet in synagogues, right? Paul would go into synagogues, get kicked out, and then likely they, they would need a space to meet. They would meet in open places, but they would also meet in the homes of believers. And so there was this church, well-known church, in the house of Aquila and Prisca. In greeting them, the Apostle Paul is honoring servants of the Lord. Just, just giving a greeting, right? Here it is, an inspired scripture about these, these two people who served the Lord. And he's honoring them just by mentioning them. And so we ought always to make much of those who serve the Lord. Right? Make much of those who serve the Lord. Make much of those who particularly serve his bride, the church. Right? Make much of them. Greet them. Make sure you go out of your way to bless them. No doubt Prisca and Aquila ended up being a great encouragement to Timothy while he was in Ephesus. Timothy left after the Apostle Paul leaves, and all of his strength, um, Timothy is left there, but Timothy had them to be able to um, gain encouragement. And so that's Prisca and Aquila. The household of Onesephorus is greeted as well. Paul mentions Onecephorus in the first chapter of the second letter to Timothy. He writes, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesephorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Right? But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. So this guy has done great work in Ephesus, encouraging the Apostle Paul. But not only in Ephesus, he's in Rome trying, ministering to the Apostle Paul. And he's one of the men who's not ashamed of the chains of the Apostle Paul. I talked about that before. It would have been, it would have been easy for the Christians to shun Paul as he languished in prison, seeing that as some sort of a defeat, right, or as some sort of shame, some sort of, um, you know, some sort of denial of the power of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't, right? Paul was there suffering because God had superintended that suffering and brought him there and so what an encouragement that man was to the apostle paul he 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 was not ashamed of him he did not abandon him even when others had right honest was the kind of man that was just loyal a loyal servant both paul of paul in the church he was loyal and paul says and you know very well what services he rendered at ephesus Here's his name recorded in Scripture so that in every age of the church and beyond, because Scripture is eternal, he will be remembered for the works he did out of love for Jesus Christ. He will be remembered. Then he mentions a few other brothers and why he isn't sending their greetings, because they're not with Paul. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. Um, Erastus is mentioned in Acts and became the city treasurer of Corinth, um, as it says in Romans 16.23. Tr- Trophimus was one of the men who traveled with the apostle Paul to Jerusalem. He's the man that the Jews falsely accused of Paul bringing into the temple, right? And then they, they, they give Paul um, a hard time. Timothy was along with those men, with Trophimus and Paul, on that trip to Jerusalem. And notice what the apostle Paul says of Trophimus. He left him sick in Miletus. Um, what we learn from this is that the apostolic power of healing was not something that, that Paul had on tap, right? It's not something he had on tap. Um, that authority did mark an apostle. We read about that in Second Corinthians, but it was also not something they carried around as a, as a personal benefit, right? Sickness interrupted the work of this man, and the apostle was unable to skirt around that issue. He couldn't just willy-nilly heal this guy, right? And so we learn that, that the, the healing that Paul received was very specific at a specific time for a specific purpose, right? And, and Trophimus, he couldn't help. He just left him back sick. Then the Apostle Paul requests that Timothy come to him before winter. Why would Timothy? Why would you request that Timothy come before winter? Well, earlier he had requested that Timothy bring his cloak. All right? So he may just be concerned that it's getting cold and he needs that cloak. And so please get to me before winter. It certainly could be that. But he also knows that if Timothy doesn't travel before winter, he will have to wait until the spring when he can travel over the sea. And when spring rolls around it's likely that Paul's execution will have already taken place. And so there's an urgency in this request because of his imprisonment and impending execution. He desires, I think it's not about the cloak and the parchments, whatever those are. We don't know what's on those parchments, if it's parts of the gospel or some other works, um, some letters. But um, he desires to see his faithful son. One more time to be encouraged and to mutually encourage one another before his death. Eubulius, Putin, Linus, and Claudia are all near Paul and send their greetings to Timothy. These were likely members of, of the church in Rome where Timothy had once been with the Apostle Paul. So these are men that it would encourage Timothy to hear from, right? The men that he had ministered with and hung out with in Rome. He hears from them, takes encouragement. And then finally, the Apostle Paul closes this solemn and very intense letter to Timothy with a simple benediction. A simple benediction. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And thus ends the ministry of the Apostle Paul through the inspired word. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Very simple. First thing to point out is that... um, (laughs) that there's something important about the grammar of this benediction. The your in the first sentence is singular, and the you in the second sentence is plural. So to Timothy, he says, the Lord be with your spirit, And to the church, he writes, grace be with you all, right? Um, the grace be with, well, I guess it'd be the grace be with all y'all, right? So... That's important, though. So this, the benediction is both personal and public. It's personal and um, it's private to, to, to the uh, Timothy, um, to his beloved son, but then it's also expanded out to the church. I don't think there's anything mystical about the phrase, um, the Lord be with your spirit. It's simply a way of saying the Lord be with you, the Lord be close to you, so close that he's with your spirit. Right, this is this is a welcome reminder when the dearest to us are departing. Right, those the, those um, those we lose—friends, spouses, parents—will never lose the presence of the Lord. Right, He will be with us. He will be near us. He w- He is with us. He is near us. And so, um, the Apostle Paul says, "The Lord be with your spirit." To Timothy. And then finally, the final written words of the Apostle Paul, grace be with you, plural. Grace be with the brothers and sisters of God's household. Grace be with the church. Most of the the Apostle Paul's letters end with some version of this phrase, grace be with you, or grace be with you all, he says, or the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And the Apostle Paul was a man who, remember, remember the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul was a man who knew the grace of God, right? He knew the grace of God, and he wrote continually about the grace of God. If you do a simple search in your Bible for grace, mostly they'll pop up in that word. Mostly it will pop up in the words of the apostle, the writings of the apostle Paul. But remember that from being a blasphemer, from being a blasphemer and a hater and a persecutor of the church, of Christ's church, he was saved by the grace of God, by God's choice. There was nothing that Paul did to commend himself to God, right? In fact, everything he did was to make himself odious to God. And it's not as if there was a time period before the grace of God kicked in where he transitioned to becoming a Christian. No, not so with the Apostle Paul. With the Apostle Paul, he was pounded into his conversion. Right? In a moment when Jesus appeared to him, and spoke to him, and humbled him. And he bows his knees before the Lord Jesus Christ and calls him Lord. Right, That's, that's the one who now closes his life, closes his words, closes this, this letter to his beloved son with this word, grace be with you. He rejoiced in the grace of God. He rested in the grace of God. He was awed. By the grace of God. Romans 11 says this. I say then God has not rejected his people. Has he may it never be. For I too am an Israelite. A descendant of Abraham. Of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people. Whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says. In the passage about Elijah. How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone, alone am left. And they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You know, that's the Apostle Paul rejoicing in this grace of the Lord. And in Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which has been given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints." This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. That's the apostle Paul, the apostle of grace, rejoicing in the fact that he was raised up to go out to the whole world to talk about the grace of God that had been hidden in this new administration of the apostles to bring out this good news. And then in Romans five, he says this simply about the grace of God, for if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So it's the grace of God that has led you to salvation. It's the grace of God that should be the closing note of everything you do, right? It's the grace of God that you should close every communication you make with anybody else. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does. He, he once, again, once again preaches, right? Grace be with you. Without the grace of God, um, we're doomed. The grace of God is our only hope as sinners, brothers and sisters. And the Apostle Paul knew this and spread that singular message. And may we do the same as he. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even in... In greetings and benedictions, Father, you feed us. Father, I pray that that we would rejoice in the grace that you have given to us as a free gift. Father, that our boasting might be excluded. That our only boast would be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the humility of Timothy and his receiving the admonishments of the Apostle and the work that you did through him to the church. We thank you that the church has been strengthened by these letters since they were written. What a treasure you have given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.